Welcome to the 2023 NL West Roundtable Show on Fans First Sports Network. I'm Brian Murphy from Giants Croncast, covering the San Francisco Giants, and with me... I'm Evan Lang, representing uh, Rocky Mountain Rooftop in the Colorado Rockies. And I'm Eric Steven. I'm at Three Inning Save, podcasting about the LA Dodgers, and I'm, I've been told to say the worst franchise in the history of professional sports and truly evil and disgusting but just the worst yeah, yeah just... <laughs> look I, I i say say what you want but i'm i'm a company man i go on script so I'm, I'm here to i'm here to obey not joining us today another podcast on the network ben fadden he's at talking friars and so look out for that ben was uh, nice enough to drop us some questions in as well this is going to be a roundtable discussion um, I didn't see in all of Ben's comments if he had some truly negative and vile things to say about the Dodgers, but suffice it to say, Eric, I think Evan and I will have plenty to say in that regard as well. I, so I assume worry. it's implied like, with, <laughs> with him anyway, so I, I sort of get it. So the National League West, which uh, I don't know what it, I, I like the division. I'm I'm completely uh, biased. The Giants are my favorite team. I think the Giants-Dodgers rivalry is fantastic. I think the Giants-Rockies rivalry is fantastic. I think the Padres thinking they have rivalries with anybody is fantastic. I think the Diamondbacks being this weird pesky team that kind of ebbs and flows and can be pesky for all the teams is fantastic. But, you know, obviously it's not the NL East. Um, and obviously now that the NL and AL both have DHs, doesn't really matter what kind of baseball you like. It's all the same, but I'm interested just real quick before we get into our full rundown, you know, your thoughts on the NL West in terms of like entertainment value and Evan go first. Cause we know the Dodgers have an all-star team. <laughs> NL West is NL best. There we uh, go. <laughs> but at the same time, for, first of all, saying that the Rockies have a division with the Dodgers is like saying that a Ford Pinto has a division rivalry with a brick wall. It just doesn't really work out for one of those parties. And sometimes I really think, get me the heck out of this division so that we can compete with other, like if you plop the Rockies into the AL central, Maybe we could make a run of things. You really feel that strongly, even with the way the, the org is managed. I mean, <laughs> look at how the White Sox and Cleveland for a while were managed. Fair enough. Uh, Eric, your thoughts on the NL West. So I'm, I'm with you, Brian. I, I love it. Um, I do really love the Dodgers Giants rivalry. It's, it's, when they're both good, it's awesome, and and it's rare. And I'm and I'm not saying this to like chide the Giants because the Dodgers have been on the other end of that as well. It seems like when one team is good, the other one is not quite there, so it's very hard for them to match up sometimes. Yeah, yep. but like twenty twenty one was amazing, and also was like um, um, sort of a blood feud in that it sort of wore both teams out <laughs> towards the end of the year. You have like the two best teams in baseball going at it and then both were completely gassed in the postseason and uh so yeah i don't but it was awesome i would do that like every year if i if if i could that was great that said all all the other i do enjoy the rivalry um like just generally with the division i do think it's adorable like you said that the padres think they have rivals like you know in the in the sense that like they're nowhere near uh what dodgers giants is for instance but 
Um, I am glad that the schedule has changed this year because I was kind of getting sick of playing every team in the division six series a year. <laughs> I, I'm, I think I'm okay to go with four for a little bit, like just to see how that goes. Yeah, Evan, what do you think about that? I agree with you, Eric. What do you think about the 14 games against your division rivals or opponents now? I would 100% agree. It's, first of all, no offense to a lot of Dodgers fans out there, but I don't like having you at my stadium. Yeah. <laughs> Second of all, the the fact that, one, we don't have to play the division um, division rivals as much, but then also that we get to see every team in the league and, you know, teams that you don't normally get to see come to Colorado, come to Colorado is definitely well worth sacrificing a handful of division games where getting to see teams like, you know, the Rays never really come to Colorado. That'll be cool. Um, all the, the White Sox, the Angels, all these different teams that you don't really see that often at Coors Field and that you don't really see often at Dodger Stadium, at, at Oracle, any of those, I think it's better off for the fans as a whole. I agree. I, I think I'm going to get personally, I'm going to get tired of it after just this first year, but it's going to be exciting <laughs> sure. for 2023. That's for sure. We're going to ask each other a series of questions about each other's teams. We've prepared where everyone knows one of those questions and then we're going to do a gotcha round. But before we get into that, I do want to ask uh, both Eric and Evan what they think about their teams heading into 2023, just to kind of get a brief assessment from people who are going to be covering the team every day. And I don't. And also, if you want to drop in how often your release schedules are for those who may not be totally familiar and is catching the network for the first time, that'd be great, too. So let's start with the Rockies, Evan. Yeah, so the Rockies are going to be covered on Rocky Mountain Rooftop. Our flagship show, Affected by Altitude, uh, is a <laughs> weekly show that comes out every Monday. Amazing name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish I could say I came up with it. You could have. We wouldn't have known. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm too gosh darn honest like that. And I am so gosh darn honest that I'm going to say it's not going to be a great season for the Colorado Rockies. I think this is really going to be a year where they are going to be uh, kicking and screaming to stay under the 100 loss threshold. The off season's big highlight was our ownership putting his foot uh, directly into his mouth, where at the friends of baseball luncheon in Greeley, Colorado, he said things like he believes the Rockies can be a 500 baseball team. Um, also had his woes about how it's not great or puts too much pressure on him that other teams like say the Dodgers, the Padres and the Mets are spending a lot of money to try and win championships. And this is after a couple of years ago, he had his, no, that was 2020, where right after everything, Dick Monfort goes that he had interpolated the numbers and believed that the Rockies would win 94 games in, in 2020. So he's definitely brought that prediction down to earth this year by saying that we're a 500 team. But we're not. I would be, I would be shocked if the Rockies were a 500-year team just because of the way the team is built right now. Ironically, 
pitching is is one of our stronger suits right now mm-hmm. where at the very least the top half of the rotation is good if you've seen Herman Marquez and Kyle Freeland fresh out of the World Baseball Classic and then our bullpen is actually fairly well constructed on paper this year with some good additions brought in via free agency and some young guns coming up but the issue is everything else that's happened where the Rockies once again, didn't really make any big moves. Didn't really make any trades. Their big off season trade was trading a uh, prospect second baseman, Juan Brito to the Cleveland guardians for Nolan Jones, a power hitting uh, corner infielder, corner outfielder. And Nolan Jones did not make the team in camp. He's already been optioned to triple a Albuquerque. So that's already not a great start. And then the injuries that we've had to deal with, um, Brendan Rogers, our gold glove second baseman, uh, took a really routine diving out in the Cactus League this year against the Rangers, dislocated his shoulder and did damage to the shoulder capsule. He's likely going to miss the entire season. Um, our young left fielder who had a very strong chance to be the starting left fielder in Sean Bouchard ruptured his biceps just on a swing during spring training this year um he's gonna miss the entire season and so the rockies made what i consider to be some fairly panicky moves of trying to stay under 100 losses and bringing in uh and profar to play left field and bringing in mike moustakis on a minor league deal and now uh mike moustakis looks very much like he is going to be on that opening day roster, which good for Moose, but not so good for young guys looking to get consistent at bats. One of the bright sides for everything that's happened, it and it unfortunately took the Brendan Rodgers injury, but the Rockies have finally committed to top, top prospect Elaris Montero playing at third base this season. He's had a fabulous spring and is likely going to be our everyday third baseman, at least to start with Ryan McMahon moving over to second base. And then top MLB prospect, he's number 25 in the MLB pipeline. You know him, you love him. It's Ezekiel Tovar. It's finally Tovar time, everybody. Ezekiel (laughs) Tovar is going to be our everyday shortstop to start the season. I'm really, really excited for that. If you ask about guys who you think are going to be the two breakout guys, it's Montero and Tovar. All right, let's talk about the Giants real quick. Actually, I want to say Profar scares me as a Giants fan. He has he has their number. Um, the Giants, uh, I think they have basically shown that they have a system in place that gives them a very high floor. And what happens after that is really just it amounts to luck and hitting certain level levels of projection. But last year's 81 and 81 team was a sign that they can put together, they can just throw out a roster of whoever and they're going to do pretty well, um, which is damning with faint praise the guys they actually have on the team. Uh, they basically made six big moves this year, this offseason. Uh, one of those moves was simply signing Jock Peterson to the qualifying offer, and the other five were, you know, adding two injury risks in Conforto and Hanniger, and then three. Solid pitchers, which gives them a lot of strength. They got Taylor Rogers in the bullpen to not only secure the eighth inning, but also back up Camilo Duvall. They and then they got Ross Stripling and Shamanaya to add to the rotation, which includes Alex Cobb. Uh, they're hoping Kyle Harrison can emerge as a guy later in the season to join the rotation. They've got Alex Wood there. They've got a lot of depth. 
And again, that depth is not just like guys who can kind of do one thing okay. They've got guys who can do two or three things pretty okay, pretty well. And you add it all up and it's going to be something something to watch most of the time, you would hope. Uh, obviously, though, they didn't get their two big targets. And I think that's going to be a thing that unless they make the postseason, I don't even think even if they make the postseason, people will forget. I think that's just going to be the thing hanging over them all season. They failed to get Aaron Judge. They totally blew it with Carlos Correa. And then we don't know about their farm system. Their farm system will continue to be a work in progress, a gigantic question mark, as MLB Pipeline deemed it, highly volatile. So we don't know what's going to happen with that. Casey Schmidt could emerge as well. That might be exciting. We don't know what we're going to get. Um, and then uh, Giants fans and non-Giants fans who might have to be watching the Giants for some reason, keep an eye on J.D. Davis and uh, David VR. Those are the two guys I would say have the most potential to really surprise. Like if Michael Conforto does well and Mitch Haniger somehow stays on the field long enough to do well, I don't think outside observers would be too surprised. Am I wrong on that? But uh, Davis and VR are the two guys to look forward to. Eric, tell us about the Dodgers. Sure. Um, I sort of view like 2023 for them. It's, I, I call it like a year of transition. Although like it's not necessarily bad. Like I think things could work out. And I know this is going to sound basically sound the world's largest violin or smallest violin because, you know, I'm still talking about like a, a pretty good team, but just not oh no, they're not going to win like over a hundred games again. You know, that just sounds so stupid to say, but um, so they, the last two off seasons, they've seen their starting shortstop sign for $300 million elsewhere. And then this, <laughs> the guy they had to replace him this year tore his ACL. So he's out for the year, Gavin Lux. Um, so I liked when they traded for Miguel Rojas, cause I thought they badly needed position player depth and, but he was good as like the utility infielder extra guy. And now he's the starting shortstop. <laughs> so that's, that's a little rough. Um, but you know, they not only lost Trey Turner, they lost Justin Turner and um, Cody Bellinger. Now, obviously he had a really steep decline. A lot of that is injury related. A lot of it was swing related and just a really bad downward spiral, but he was also awesome on defense. So they're basically replacing three regulars. Um, the, the Justin Turner move was weird in that, like I sort of thought that he would stick around till he retired at this point. He was, he's not, he's not Clayton Kershaw, right? So he's not on that level, but he was in that, like, I would say even like better than Andre Ethier, like in terms of how he was involved in the community. And I think more beloved probably, and so I thought they would sort of keep him around, but it, it seemed like their whole off season, it, it, it seemed like they were trying to stay under the first uh, luxury tax threshold, even though they, and they're not, they're not going to end up anywhere near under it. All, it. I don't know. It just, it was just very weird. So it seemed like they were sort of nickel and diming stuff. Most of the off season, they essentially chose JD Martinez, who's three years younger than Turner. Um, and, you know, a little cheaper, but not, that much so um that move could end up paying off but it just felt a little cold to me in, in that weird weird way this isn't one of my questions eric but yeah, that's yeah. why you have andrew friedman running the organization right no it, it's it's totally right but but at the same time i sort of and not that justin turner totally superseded that but i sort of thought they would 
because I think with Kershaw, like I think they have like a budget set for you know whatever. But I think as long as Kershaw wants to play, they're gonna he's just gonna be around like you know until he's done, or he wants to go to the Rangers or something to finish things out. But I didn't I didn't think Turner was exactly there, but I thought they would sort of find a way to make you know come back in some role. Although to be fair, maybe maybe they sort of talked to Justin Turner in that he was going to have a lesser role because he's not as good defensively. He's, he's been hurt more. Maybe they wanted him to step back and play a different role. And maybe he wasn't willing to do that just enough. And then I know he's playing like first base in Boston. So it's not like he's unwilling to move, but I do wonder how that, that sort of played out. Very much like the guy who he's a weird ginger doppelganger of in uh, Charlie Blackman. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Okay. Before I know that we're sort of, I'm sort of breaking rank here, but like, um, how dare uh, you? Is, 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 this is not my gotcha question, but Charlie Blackman's walk-up music, what, Your Love, right? That's the song. It is, it is so Your Love. With the pitch timer, is is there time to play that song now for him or, or no? The legitimate answer to that is I don't know. Yeah. The, the problem with it is it's such a fan favorite that I feel like they'll find a way to get it done, at least somehow. My guess is if he's batting a leadoff in the inning, they'll probably start it early. Hmm. I didn't even think about the walk-up music. That's a great yeah. point. One more Dodgers point, I guess. So the the good news, at least for them, a lot of their like top prospects are pretty close to major league ready. So a lot of them are taking like bigger roles. Like James Outman just made the team probably going to play a lot in center field. Miguel Vargas is their best hitting prospect closest to the majors and He's going to play, but they're also putting him at second base, so their defense is going to be real weird this year. Um, the, the thing about Outman, though, so it, the usual move in recent years with like a a younger player is they would probably option him because they have a bunch of veterans who would probably be taking more time, and then they want the the younger guy to play uh, more regularly in the minors. Not that Outman's that young; he's like twenty six, but. I think this year they just don't have the depth. Like players he was fighting for like the final roster spot were uh, Yanni Hernandez, who's a light hitting infielder, uh, speedy guy. They optioned him. So then it came down to either Outman or non-roster invitees. You got Steven Duggar, who Brian, I'm sure you're fully aware of. Mm-hmm. Bradley Zimmer, an even worse hitter, but better defender. And um, Luke Williams, a utility man who hasn't really hit anywhere and that's their depth behind Outman. So like, if any other position player goes down, they're kind of in a bind right now. Like I guess Michael Bush is their, one of their other best prospects, but he, uh, I believe depending on, I think Eric Longenhagen at Fangraphs just called him a DH immediately. <laughs> like they want the Dodgers want him to play second, maybe some first, but I don't know if he has a position he could just hit, but uh, the, so it's just going to be a weird year to see how they sort of deal with that if any other like injuries come up. But bottom line, they're still really good. Not a hundred win good, but maybe like low nineties win good. <laughs> that, that's that's how, sort of how I feel. Got to be I honest, would, I like hearing you sweat. Yeah, <laughs> I would just like to put out there that I do not like James Outman, and it has nothing oh, to man. do with the fact that in his big league debut he brutalized the Rockies. <laughs> with a uh, three for yeah. four outing with a double and a home run and three RBI and only struck out once. Yeah, nothing to do with that. So the fun part of that, so his debut last year was like insane for like four games. Then they sent him down and he just kept hitting in AAA. 
he's going to make the team and opening day will be his first game at Dodger Stadium. Oh, like, wow. That's, he, he hasn't that's wild. Funny. Yeah. Duggar's pretty good. You say that there's a better defender uh, than uh, the other guy was a better defender. Duggar was known for his defense. He just can't stay healthy. He's never been yeah. able to really stay, stay healthy for any length of time. I think Zimmer's like um, pretty elite. Like it, mm. no, he's not maybe maybe he's like near Kevin Kiermeyer, but he I think he's also been hurt. But he also cannot hit. I think like legitimately. Like I know Duggar's had like time where he Splashes. has been good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Zimmer I don't think has had that at all. So Ben uh, was very nice enough to leave us the Padres assessment. So I'm just going to read that real quick. He said, some owners would be happy with an NLCS finish like the Padres had last year, but not Peter Seidler. He and AJ Preller went out and got Xander Bogarts, Matt Carpenter, and Nelson Cruz to bolster a lineup that already includes Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, Juan Soto, and Jake Cronenworth. The starting pitching depth is stronger than it was at the end of 2022, and the bullpen still includes Josh Hader and Robert Suarez. This team has what it takes to win the West and the whole thing. We'll see, Ben. We'll <laughs> see about that. <laughs> All right. So this is going to go into our Q&A round one. Just so you know, everyone knows what these questions are. So I'm asking of Eric about the Dodgers. Since 2019, LA has scored more, the most runs and allowed the fewest. They've scored 2,912 runs and allowed 1,900 in the regular season. Do you expect that trend to continue this season, and which will be the greater strength? Short answer is no. And also, if you even go back, if you count uh, 2018 as well, they've led the National League in both runs scored and fewest runs allowed five straight years. No other team has ever done that. They could lead the league in fewest runs allowed. I think they're going to struggle the most on offense. Like I said, they don't they don't have the depth. A lot of their you know core is are players in their thirties, uh, so there's like a pretty big injury risk. Like literally, Jason Hayward is going is on the team. Trace Thompson, who has barely he was awesome last year, but he also has barely played in recent years. Um, Chris Taylor's dealt with injuries, and he was bad last year. David Peralta is coming off back surgery. So, and that's their outfield besides Mookie Betts, obviously the, the, a great caveat to have, I guess, but the offense is where they're going to struggle the most. That said, they're going to be a good offense, but not lead the league offense Um, pitching. I think there's enough, the bullpen, I sort of thought it was a strength, but uh, they got a lot of guys who are going to be like who they were sort of counting on. who were going to start on the injured list, but, it could be an issue in the early going. So I, who knows if that can snowball. I think they have enough like over the course of the year to be pretty good at like preventing runs. We'll see. All right. Well, Eric, you talked about a little bit earlier, but the Dodgers had to shed a bit of payroll to get under that luxury tax bracket. And he lost some important contributors like uh, Trey and Justin Turner, the brothers Turner. Yep. Gavin Lux is now out for the season. And you talked about us a little bit before, but how do you feel overall confidence-wise about your infield depth going into the season? It It's a problem. Um, so, right, they, they're going to have four actual infield, basically the four starting infielders on the opening day roster. And then Chris Taylor is the fifth, but he's going to be like infield and outfield. He's going to be like the the other shortstop besides Miguel Rojas, but also is going to play some outfield, going to fill in at third. Um, after that, Yanni Hernandez, who I mentioned, is going to be like at the ready. And Michael Bush is probably the next guy, but 
there's question to whether he can like play second base, but I think with him, it's going to be more of if they just need like a hitter. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a bit of a problem. Like the, the couple guys, two guys, Eddie's Leonard and Yorby Bivas who have yet to play above high a, but the year, Oh, it was the year of the lockout. So t- after 2021, um, they added them to the 40 man roster. They're super young. They were pretty good. And like there was a thought that they might be taken in the Rule Five draft, so they added them to the forty-man roster just sort of as a preventative thing. And then there was no Rule Five draft because of the lockout, and then they still they like haven't gone above High A. This year they're probably going to start in Double A. I don't think either guy is going to make the majors um, this year. So you're basically using up the first two option years for folks who aren't going to be in the majors. So there it limits their forty-man roster in a way because you know you have to you know, throughout the year, they're going to add, add and subtract, add and subtract guys, but you need space on the 40 man to do that. And they're, they're kind of handicapping themselves. Now, again, it, it worked. Like <laughs> they won 111 games last year with those two guys taking up space on the 40. We man. know Eric. Right? Hey, well, how we that know. It, it didn't help them in the playoffs, <laughs> but so they, it, it's an issue. Like they, they are, they're going to have, I would imagine they're going to be heavily involved in trying to add um, folks as the season goes on, I guess, depending on where the, where the, the need is. Like it could be second base. Like if, if they don't think Miguel Vargas is going to stick there, although they, they kind of like him there and he's going to, he's probably going to hit enough to do it. So yeah, th- I think infield is going to be one of those things where they're going to try to address at, at some point during the year. Brian, San Francisco lost out on the arson judge race. And Carlos Correa's market completely collapsed starting in San Francisco. But the Giants still made a lot of pickups. Would you consider this a successful offseason for the Giants with the additions the team did make? I think they did what they um, needed to do, which was, like I had said before in the assessment, was sort of build their floor up higher. I don't think you can reasonably call the offseason successful because the high, you know, the, the headline grabbing things that they were involved in were failures. One of them ex- extremely embarrassing. The other one, you know, Aaron judge, arson judge. I don't think that was really ever going to happen, but you know, it was nice that both sides were kind of pretending like maybe it could. Um, but the Korea thing was just so such a terrible thing. It, you'd, you'd like to think if they had judge or Korea plus, uh, Hanniger and all the pitching moves they made because apparently Hanniger was always um, the next move after Judge or Correa and and he thought you know so you don't get Conforto essentially and then you basically do get the pitching moves you make I think that's a really great offseason so to subtract the one of those top two out of there I still think they did a lot to improve I like their rotation I like their pitching program their plan I, I think even before Far Anxiety, the Giants have a knack. And then Brian Bannister, who runs the pitching development, even though he's anti-vax, I still think he's science-minded in some way, and it helps them a lot uh, You know, push the value. So I think they have a lot of um, Sean Mania picking up a couple of miles on his fastball. We'll see if that holds for the season. But just stuff like that I'm, I'm confident in. So adding a guy like Stripling, Ammonia. Um, I think that was very helpful for them. And Taylor Rogers, you know, he's been one of the best relievers in baseball the last four or five years. So, or four seasons. So I think overall you have to say it's success- successful, but I kind of find it 
one of those things you can't do with a straight face. So there we go. See, it's funny because as much as I like to dump on the Giants, I don't think that they should continue to get um, scorned for what happened with Carlos Correa because of the Mets. If the Mets hadn't swooped in and then done the exact same thing, then I think, yeah, you still make fun of the Giants for what happened with Carlos Correa. But since the Mets also did it, and then no one else was willing to take a risk and he goes back to the Twins, that's something that I feel like is still getting sort of unfairly piled onto for in terms of the Giants. So, well, I don't know. Well, I appreciate that as an ambassador for the Giants. Uh, I was <laughs> but I also think that it was more, uh, oh, legal disclaimer, I'm not actually an ambassador for the Giants. But the it's just a string of disappointments when it comes to top of the market free agents. They're, this is like a, Barry Bonds is basically the biggest guy who's ever decided, sure, I'll play in San Francisco. And really, since then, they've been spurned rather publicly by the top of the market guys. Giancarlo Stanton basically looked at what the Giants were, you know, that was a, a no trade situation that he could waive, but it was basically a free agent negotiation. He's like, I don't want to play for this losing team. They don't have prospects. They've had Zach Granke turn them down for the same reason. Like they've got no farm system, their development. John Lester thought they were weird for how they approached him. And, uh, you know, Adam LaRoche turned them down. <laughs> People oh, no. forget. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, you missed out on Drake LaRoche too? Like that? Yeah, we missed out on Jake LaRoche. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that led to them getting Aubrey Huff on a, on a small deal and they won the World Series, so it all worked out. But I, I mean, I guess what I'm saying... It worked out, you got yeah, Aubrey it, Huff. Yeah, well, <laughs> in fairness, yes. it's That was the deal with the devil for sure. I, I'm So I, I agree with you, but I'm also saying like it also adds to a certain part of the team's history that I know they want to get away from. And, I'm, and I know as a fan would hope they get away from, but it, it just kind of was a capstone of like, no, this is the way it's always going to be. They got to develop their own prospects and hope they get some, they actually develop some all-stars one of these days. Cause it's really in the last 40 years, they've had like two or three little cells where they've been able to produce like major league everyday position players in 40 years. That's, that's not a great track record, I would say. So we'll see what happens. As a Rockies fan, I have zero sympathy for you. <laughs> I don't want any from you. Yeah, it's for sure. <laughs> I'm just uh, with the Korea things in particular. That it was just bad luck. I mean, I really do think at the end of the day, that's what you can boil that all down to. And so, should the Giants, to your point, should they take any hits for that? Probably not. But I think it's human nature. It's just going to be a thing that carries with them all year. So, before my question to you, Brian, you mentioned the Barry Bonds. That's one of those like. There's always these weird um, off-season, like, you know, la- the, this is the la- the largest contract or the last time this team signed X or whatever. Always blows me away, but I remember, so this, the, I was trying to remember the one from this off-season. It's not NLS, but the, when the Rays signed Zach Eflin, he, so he signed for three years, $40 million. And now this is mitigated by the fact that they signed um, uh, Evan Longoria to, like, two, like, um, pre-Braves super cheap deals. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they signed um, Wander Franco to like that huge deal when he was like, you know, 14 or whatever. Um, but uh, that was the largest free agent contract the Rays have ever given out. And that it's like, how is that possible? Like, you know, it just seems yeah. so weird. Like <laughs> those things always blow me away. But anyway, back to the Giants. Um, a, a player near and dear to both of our hearts, I'm assuming, 
Uh, how have you enjoyed the Jock Peterson experience now from the opposite side after years of having him as the enemy? And is he really going to play a lot of first base this year? Because I remember that with the Dodgers and oh my God, it was bad. The first base thing is it's not going to be like a full-time gig. They want to increase his flexibility such as it is sure. so that they have that option. Lamont Wade Jr. looks like he's going to get the bulk of the time there for left-handed, but they also have outfield injuries. Uh, having Mitch Hanniger on your team is already like you're going to get 60 games out of that guy probably. And the, But then Austin Slater being hurt, and then who knows what's going on with Mike Yastrzemski. Still apparently a great defender, but he's also over 30. And um, and he's not hitting well at all. So you need to have some flexibility. Jock Peterson playing defense in any position is a is a bad idea. So I don't <laughs> think it's going to be like a big thing. Um, but the experience has been great. I, I mean, he was nothing but storylines last year. He got the yep. crap slapped out of him by Tommy Pham, which might have turned the giant season. Um, he taught he had a conversation with Barry Bonds before one game, and then he went out and he hit what three home runs against the Mets. And uh, and so it's like great, love, love Jock Peterson. Um, so I think there's just a I think there's um a, a lot of potential for him to be as good or better than he was last year. The defensive shifting changes limitations seems like that's he's a player that's going to benefit quite a lot from that but uh he's such a red mark on defense that um wait that's good in stat cast he's such a blue mark for for defense that i don't that uh it's kind of you know his value just gets wiped out immediately so i like having him on the team it's good that the giants have a guy who could potentially hit 30 home runs and i actually did think he's the guy who might actually do it this year because i don't know if you know this or not the giants have not had a 30 home run hitter since like bonds i find jock incredibly fun to watch like just as a hitter he he never gets cheated for one thing but also like he was really good last year legitimate all-star starter right like just Mm -hmm. excellent he always kills righties but um yeah just just a fun player uh you did mention austin slater i just want to bring up that um of the giants accounts I follow, I, is it yell Slater? <laughs> like that the entire account is basically dedicated to <laughs> Guy yell Slater. I mean, yeah. that, that cracks me up. And it's one of those great Twitter follows. When I see it, it makes me laugh all the time. I love it. So. Evan, there's a guy on the broadcast. I think it's more on radio. You can hear it, but he's like, there is a guy. I can't remember if it was a series of games or just a couple of games, but he just, when Slater was up, you could hear him going Slater. <laughs> oh, I've heard that guy. <laughs> Just as uh, long as he's not yelling dinger, we don't uh, <laughs> need another one of that. Yeah. Oh, are we all an anti-dinger household right now? <laughs> so this no. Are, are you not familiar with what happened with this? Oh, yes. No, 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 no. no. I, I'm aware. I'm aware. Oh, that just reminds me. Jock Peterson uh, received some anti-Semitic slurs at the beginning of last season as oh, well. No. So yeah. he, was, uh, he was definitely involved in quite a lot of stories last year. I would say the Giants didn't have a lot to talk about last year. So anything, you know, <laughs> the few things that happened happened to Jock. So. All right, well, Evan, I'm going to ask you a Rockies question. Just point blank, what have the Rockies done or what could they do? Because I've looked at these numbers and I couldn't believe it. They play in Coors Field. What could they do to improve a bottom three offense since 2019? An 84 weighted runs created plus minus 399.2 fan graphs offense uh, runs. I don't think I've ever seen that before. It's pretty amazing as a team. So what could they do or what have they done to improve it going into this year? 
so a big issue i wrote an article about this last season and the article came up in september and i titled it the rockies offense just isn't working where last season the rockies had one of their very worst offensive seasons in franchise history um worst slugging percentage worst ops worst amount of triples lowest home runs lowest stolen bases lowest lowest walks in September. I believe they pulled it around where they didn't end up having the lowest amount of home runs, though I'd have to double check. The big issue with that, especially in the last five years, is ground balls, where the Rockies have hit some of the most ground balls in not only franchise history, but they've also had some of the highest ground ball rates in the league. And last year they had the highest ground ball rate in the league at uh, 46.9%. Oof. And that is a fundamental issue with hitting philosophy and hitting approach. And what we're really hoping is uh, we brought in a guy who, Brian, you're familiar with, is Mr. Hensley Bam Bam Mullins. Oh, boy. <laughs> and the goal is stop hitting the ball into the dirt every single <laughs> at bat. That's the the more than anything, I think, is the biggest issue is ground balls, where last season, basically every Rockies hitter had a 40% or higher ground ball rate, with the exceptions of Alaris Montero, who didn't play that much, Chris Bryant, who didn't play that much, and CJ Crone. Now, just if you're listening and you're skeptical of this, I'm going to give the top five teams in lowest ground ball rate. So the Rockies had the the highest ground ball rate in baseball, 46.8%. Top five of lowest, Dodgers, number one, 37%. Baltimore, 39%. Giants, 40.2%. Mariners, 44%. And Astros, 40.7%. So just if you're listening and you're not sure of the context for it, you don't want to hit the ball on the ground as much as you can. Now, that's an interesting point because... How much do the Rockies need to lower that ground ball percentage, I wonder, to then, you know what I mean? Like ground balls this year, because of the rule changes, might not be as bad. So how much of an improvement do they really need to make to see a a measurable increase in their offense? They might not have to do too much, but you're absolutely right on the lineup. I mean, go to their baseball reference page. I know I'm jumping all these stat things, but like half the most of that lineup is below league average. Just, just uh, on their OPS plus and stuff. So, um... yeah, and uh, a big thing that shows that was emblematic of the ground ball issue was so the Rockies traded Rymel Tapia over to the Blue Jays? Uh, Toronto Blue Jays, yeah. and the Rockies brought in Randall Grichik. Grichik then had the highest ground ball rate of his entire career. Oh no. And the Rockies parted ways with hitting coach Dave Magadan, which I think was the right move. But now we've got to see what Bam Bam Mullins brings to the table. I think ground balls are going to be less of an issue with the shift rules this year. But at the same time, they need to be elevating the ball more anyway, because they need to be generating power numbers. When you are not getting the ball into the air, when you're not hitting home runs when the Rockies are supposed to be this home run team. That's a problem. Right. And it was especially a problem last year because in 2019, the Rockies hit a franchise second best mark of 224 home runs. But 
it got really ugly last year when Aaron Judge, when I wrote this article, Aaron Judge had 51 uh, individual home runs. He eventually hit 62, which is almost half as many as the Rockies had as a team that year. Oof. <laughs> uh, strikeouts were an issue as well, but it really, really is. The Rockies need a better plate approach. What they need in general is an actual hitting philosophy, which is not something they've really seemed to have. But all I can do is wait and see how things are going to develop this year. So I have a question on the other side for you, Evan. Um, so you mentioned Herman Marquez, Kyle Freeland, and also Antonio Senzatella. Like he, those three have been around seemingly forever. I was looking at stuff during the off season and I was surprised at how long they've been teammates. And then they're also, I guess there's still an option year after this year for Marquez, but the other two are signed decently long-term. So like, they're like a good part of the future as well. Uh, after last year, it seemed like it was a down year for the trio. Like just generally, what do you expect from them this year? And then who, who's there to like uh, back them up in the rotation? I'll start with Sensatela. I will start with, I expect very, very little from Antonio Sensatela because he is, um, he's not going to be back until at least May after tearing his ACL last season and him even coming back and being healthy this season at all. I consider that a positive. Uh, what really is going to go down for Senzi is next season of making sure he's fully healthy and then seeing if he can make some adjustments to his pitching so that he can get his uh, strikeout rates a little bit higher because Sensitela is a fantastic ground ball inducing pitcher, but he, he does not really strike people out. And because of that, he gives up a lot of hard contact in addition to that. So that he, he has some adjustments he needs to make, but really for this season, my, my big thing for Sensi is just get healthy because that ACL tear was absolutely brutal, and I hated seeing him go down like that. I love Sensi. He's one of my favorite guys on this team. So that's it for him, is just get healthy, man. For Armon and Kyle, little bit different. Kyle Freeland definitely turned his season around last year, where he started, he started off struggling. Like, Let's not beat around the bush with that. But he ended the season... As one of the Rockies' better rotation members, he made 31 starts. He had an ERA of 4.53 in 174 and two-thirds innings and only gave up 19 home runs. He's one of just three Rocky starters last year, including Sensatela, to give up less than 20 home runs. So for Freeland, it really is just keep keep adjusting, keep settling in and I think he can have a really successful season he looked really solid in the world baseball classic especially against samurai Japan when he struck out Shohei Otani and then he did walk somebody and and he's always going to walk a couple guys that's just part of Freeland's makeup as a pitcher but then he is able to back up those walks and the soft contact he can generate Mm -hmm. with inducing double plays and that's exactly what he did against samurai Japan uh, Kyle Freeland, I think, is going to have a good season. What people need to stop doing is holding him to the expectations of 2018 Kyle Freeland, where he finished fourth in Cy Young voting. I think it's going to be that that, as much as I love uh, Kyle Freeland, that was more of an aberration than much else. But he is definitely a good number two, number three rotation guy. Marquez, on the other hand, 
he needs a bounce back year. And he started to show some of it last year at the very end of the season, but he ended the year with a four, nine, five ERA and 31 starts. And a lot of it was, he had been tinkering with his, with his fastballs and something about it just wasn't working. He was very clearly disappointed and unhappy with himself. You could tell on his body language, you could tell on his face when he was on the mound and things weren't going well. And so the big thing for Herman is just needing to see him, have a good bounce back year because we know that that ace stuff is in him. He can be a really, really good pitcher. He's got an absolutely filthy knuckle curve as his primary put away pitch. And if he has a good season, then the Rockies are absolutely going to bring him back for next year. And with how this team works, I can see them trying to extend him. We'll have to see because the team's been weird recently, but the Rockies are a very loyal organization to who they see as their guys. And they've extended Kyle Freeland. They've extended Antonio Sensatela. Herman only just turned 28 years old Mm -hmm. and he's got a pretty good history pitching for the Rockies. I really don't want to see him go anywhere. Uh, The Rockies were, uh, got some calls traded for about potentially trading him last year. And they were pretty firm that Herman is off the table. We'll see if they feel the same way this season at whatever point. But, and maybe I'm I'm unpopular in saying this, I would like to see Armand have a rebound season and then the team sign him to a, another deal. 471 FIP, it was a career high for him. Um, so something was, and the 402 uh, XFIP, I mean, something was clearly going on. I don't know if it was pitch selection. I mean, his home runs per nine, uh, one and a half per nine innings, it was like all these numbers are way high um, than they yeah, should that, be. Uh, his FIP especially is way higher yeah. than normal for him. So then Ben has a question for all of us. What has to happen for your team to win the division? And let's, Evan, what, what would it take for the Rockies to win the division? If I'm being perfectly honest, there is no way that the Rockies really stand any chance of winning the division this year unless multiple guys have career years and on the other teams, multiple guys have career bad years. It's just, it's not something that's in the cards for the team this year. This is not viewed as a, as a contending season. This is really the the Rockies will never admit it, but this is a stopgap soft rebuild year where at the end of this season, a bunch of guys contracts are going away and a bunch of prospects will be starting to be ready to play. That's what's on the cards for this year. There's the Rockies will not win this division. You know, it's kind of a a thing with this NL West, which we didn't really talk about, but you know, and I'm going to be unfair to the giants here, I think, but I think it, but it feels more true than wrong. And that is except for the Dodgers and the Padres. I think all the other three teams are in some state of a rebuild. You know, the, the diamondbacks might be coming out of one, the Giants are kind of buying free agents to cover. What I'm saying is they don't have prospects, the Giants, that they don't have guys to come in. So they're having to buy guys to come in and fill these gaps. And they're kind of using whatever depth they have to get them through and then supplementing it with. But they've got no stars, essentially. They don't have everyday guys they can count on. They have a lot of mixing and matching. And then the Rockies are in the situation, as you said, Evan. So to me, there's kind of like this idea of like, except for the Dodgers and and uh, and Padres, there's a lot of variability with the division. And I think it would be hard to argue, Eric, that it, unless the Dodgers lose like four, like Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, 
and uh, maybe Clayton Kershaw, like that it's going to be tough for them to lose the division. I think the Padres are better, like are, are more likely to win the division, but I think that the Dodgers have a pretty high floor to the point where uh, it'll be hard for them to like collapse. I'll answer for the Padres and the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks, they have to hit their 80th percentile projection. You know, they have a pretty good, pretty solid foundation. It's not that hard to squint and see something happening. But I think in the case of the Diamondbacks, especially, you need the Padres and the Dodgers to have some key injuries. But I also want to bring up two other things about the Dodgers and Padres. And Evan and Eric, you can agree or disagree with me. The Padres have a great manager, but have a history for choking late in the season. The Dodgers are great and have a, a not as good manager. And those could be the differences in some cases. So, does that yeah. feel right or wrong? I think over the over the course of the season, Roberts is fine. Like generally, there are obviously some you know X's and O's type thing type things that tend to get play. Although it's I don't know it's it's very weird. So he he got a lot of flack last year for like bullpen choices, but I think a lot of it was it all it tends to always come up when they're just not hitting and that just amplifies everything so also like i think every choice every pitcher he brought in had all like been lights out like the last few weeks and few days before they came in and they all gave up runs so like i don't don't know it's very hard but like i i sort of get what you're saying but i think that tends to show up more in the short series stuff rather than over the long haul i i think He's he's pretty good in terms of grinding over the course of the season. Like that's probably where his strength is as a manager. Um, Evan, what's this news? Is this Ty Block making the opening day roster? What was what's the uh, so the Rockies have announced that Mike Mustakis and um, Ty Block have both made the opening day roster, well, and okay. Yurikson Profar is having visa issues and has oh, not no. joined the team yet. Oh. Okay. Well, the fact that Ty Block is on the team means the Rockies are guaranteed at least four wins this year because that's <laughs> probably when he faces the Dodgers. So, so congrats to that. That's really good. Um, you know, I th- if if you had said Profar's visa issues had been resolved and he was joining the team, I would say Block, Mustakis, and Profar. That's that's going to cause a lot of trouble there. That's how they uh, win the division. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yep. I think for the Padres, it's pretty easy, right? It's it's Soto and Machado and Tatis and Bogarts just play up to their expected levels. Essentially, I don't think I don't think it's just that for Tatis. I think Tatis needs to start showing a little bit more emotional maturity this year because it was pretty clear last year that he had a lot of guys in his own clubhouse rankled with his antics. I see. So yeah, it could be a detriment if he's causing issues that way and that could hurt them for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fair enough. Yeah. I think if the giants all hit their, their top projections or if everything goes according to plan, which already it's not. And Brandon Crawford being their 36 year old shortstop being the linchpin that infield, it seems unlikely, but if it is, I mean, the potential for the giants is 2021. I think at this point, whatever they're, Artificial intelligence for roster management, lineup management. Did you guys read about that, by the way? No. Did you see? Hank Shulman was talking about this. He used to be a beat reporter for the Giants. And um, 
some he was either relaying a conversation he had or some talk about how baseball teams were already using artificial intelligence. So this is before chat GPT and all that stuff. And would it surprise you, Eric and Evan, to know that this guy was talking about a team that had been doing it uh, as early as like 10 or 12 years ago? Would that surprise you? No. Okay. No. So he so the way it got phrased though was teams are already using uh, AI, you know, AI, the Giants being one of those teams. And it's like, oh, it's interesting. He's like, and the Giants were using them as early as 20, 2009. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, that's really interesting. Uh, and we saw in 2021, I'm just getting at what we saw in 2021 was like the perfection of the Zaidi model, Kapler's ability to manage personalities and platoon guys and all that stuff. So if they're healthy somehow, and again, I think the Dodgers or the Padres have got to fall down for any of these other teams to have a chance. Um, I see that's how it goes. All right, let's get into our gotcha questions. So these are the questions that we didn't prep for. So Evan's going to lead off here. So Eric, mm-hmm. my question for you. Uh, how long does it take for your manager to guarantee a World Series this year? <laughs> <laughs> so funny you should ask because, uh, okay, back on February 4th, that was when the Dodgers had their like fan fest at Dodger Stadium. So, of course, that day, that was like the, the first overall like general media availability, you know, for, of the year. And so he was asked and he's like, no, I am not. I will not be guaranteeing this year. <laughs> I, however, I, I will, I will to this going to defend Roberts a little bit. He was on, you know, the Dan Patrick radio show and, you know, he was asked, like, I think the way the question was phrased, if I remember right, was what has to happen for the Dodgers to win the world series. And he's just like, for us to play, you know, play or whatever. I And then, and then he kind of clarified it. Like, if the pitching is healthy and all this stuff, but then he was like, no, I think we're going to win. And honestly, like, I, I don't know. It, it, obviously it, it didn't, obviously it didn't work out. They lost their only playoff series, but I, I don't really have a problem with that. I think guarantees have lost their luster anyway. Joe Namath was the first like, you know, famous one at, you know, before the Super Bowl. but like Pat Riley at the uh, 87 Lakers parade, guaranteed that the Lakers would win the next year. And at the time, like no NBA team had repeated in like two decades. So it was like a bigger thing back then. But like now it's like, okay, like whatever. Like, of course they want to win. And I don't know. I They have like super high expectations whether or not Dave Roberts says they want to win the World Series or they're going to win the World Series. So I'm not sure it affected much. But to answer your question, no, he will not um, pr- predict winning the World <laughs> Series this year. He was he was asked about it, so um, it would be funny if he, he if he still did it though. To be well, as a Giants fan, that's what makes me think. Well, this will be the year, right? Because as a Giants fan, I'm like, no. When the team looks really like it's going to hit some rough patches, then they're going to somehow come together and have their Pat Burrell. Uh, Aubrey Huff moments, what, <laughs> crap like what, that. What if we went the other way and like more major league managers were like Lou Holtz, where they just talk up the opponent to no end, like before every game they're like oh man i think the dodgers should be doing that with the padres to be perfectly honest i think they should that would be fun because you know it'll go right it'll it'll mess them up right away (laughs) they they used to uh i believe this was in the um kevin towers era in san diego um when so that when the dodgers i think this was when they had brad penny sort of a lunkhead and uh they would um they would juice the gun 
at Petco Park because they know they knew he would always turn around and try to see what his his uh, velocity was at. So they had him like like in his head, right? So he'd be throwing like you know ninety four, but it would say ninety eight, um, so, and he'd be, so he'd he's tried to like overthrow the whole time and like it was so that's kind of hilarious. I went to a game at Petco in two thousand nine, and on the left field um, scoreboard they, is when they usually put the the miles per hour on every pitch, and I still have this on my phone. It's Jonathan Broxton. 103 miles an hour, which at the time, like no one was doing that back then. So you knew, you knew they were just messing with that gun, like the whole time. But I always thought that was hilarious. <laughs> All right, Eric, your question for Evan. Okay. So uh, Evan, you brought up before um, Dick Monfort um, making the comments at whatever luncheon he was at. Uh, my, my question to you, do you wish Monfort would stop talking at these, um, you know, meals and or JC clubs or whatever, or do you find it refreshing to at least have out in the open, like an owner say out in the open what he and several other of his colleagues like truly think? I would very much like for him to just be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, can I ask, is he, I mean, if he were to step aside or give, have a far anxiety type come in, would you say that he would still be generally then a, a good owner otherwise? Or is it just, no, the talking just makes it, it's all part of the whole now because the spending, it seems like they're not like trying to screw their fans, like the pirates, let's say. So, I mean, if he just stepped aside and handed it to someone who knew what they were doing, would he be a good owner? I think he would be a better owner. And that's definitely yeah. something that he needs to do is that he needs to step aside and let the baseball people do the baseball things. But he is heavily involved with the front office. He basically admitted that with the uh, much maligned Nolan Arenado trade, that much of that was his handiwork. Hmm. He at least spends some money. The Rockies spend some money. They just spend it very poorly. They sure do. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Uh, or what do you got for me? My question for you is how long until the Giants go begging for Buster Posey to come out of retirement? Because <laughs> they still really don't have a cemented catcher and Joey Bart just isn't really seeming to pan out. Well, the 30 games they are going to get from Roberto Perez are going to be great. Um, he's going to be a steady defensive presence for 30 games. Then they'll get hurt. Um, so that's a great question because they already did. They offered him an ownership stake, which he accepted because he is a secret billionaire. And um, and he's already been talking to the players and and giving talks. He personally does not want to play baseball anymore. Like the, the physical stuff he went through, it's very hard for him. But to your question, they have definitely been asking him almost every day. <laughs> so how long? It's It's never stopped. So my question to you, then, I'm bringing up uh, Dick Monfort once more. <laughs> uh, Evan, will this be the year? Will Dick Monfort be proven right this year? And and I had Chris Bryant originally, but now I'm listening to your Elaris Montero thing. Is Dick Monfort going to be proven right this year that Elaris Montero and Ezekiel Tobar will be better than Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story? <laughs> uh, Trevor Story, yes, because Trevor Story is probably not going to play it all this year. Um, he has... Uh, pretty severe elbow injury that honestly I think was nagging him back when he was still in Colorado because it's like it absolutely year was it absolutely it, was this whole story is completely nuts the story about story is nuts because <laughs> he, he he didn't look quite right in his final year here in Colorado um 
Nolan Arenado, no. Nolan is going to be a top MVP candidate again this year. He had an incredible year last year. And I don't think it has anything to do with with Dick Monfort for Alaris Montero because it really took uh, Brendan Rodgers getting hurt and Ryan McMahon having to move to second base for Alaris Montero to really get the opportunity to be the starting third baseman. So, because he was up and down a ton last year. He was optioned and recalled like four or five different times, and he really did not get a lot of playing time last year. And it looked like it was going to be much the same this year until Brendan Rodgers got hurt and sort of forced their hand. Now, I definitely think Ezekiel Tovar and Alaris Montero are the two breakout candidates for the Rockies. They have an incredibly high, high ceiling this year. And, you know, you even brought up Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant, when he was healthy last year, was really good. No, he's good. He, and I just, I was just making the joke of like, it seems like Monfort was saying like, well, we'll just get Chris Bryant. We've got Tovar and that's better than what we had before. <laughs> <That's it. laughs> the, I've talked about this before, but the relationship with Nolan Arenado was irrevocably broken. There was no way he was going to stay with the amount of bad blood between him and Dick Monfort and Jeff Breidich. And the fact that, and this, this gets ignored uh, a little more than I would like is that Nolan was already asking for a trade pretty quickly after he signed that new contract um, because he felt like he had been slighted and that like the, the Rockies weren't living up to their end of the bargain. So this was a, both sides were the issue thing, maybe one side more than the other in terms of the Rockies not being willing to spend enough to compete, but you're never going to replace Nolan Arenado. You do not just replace one of the best third basemen in the history of the game. You can't. So what people need to try and do is try and have different standards of, well, this guy's not going to be Nolan Arenado, but he can be a pretty damn good Alaris Montero. All right, I have a gotcha question for you, Eric. Uh-huh. With crackdowns on international human trafficking <laughs> and Trevor and Trevor Bauer being such a disgusting dude that the Dodgers had no other choice to cut him, is it safe to say that the Dodgers' deal with the devil has run out? Or is this more of a monkey's paw situation where getting Andrew Friedman helps you in some ways, but you just wind up having the same luck as the Rays? Oof. I, well, okay. Yes, maybe. I Like... I will say, like, they did win it in 2020, and I know a lot of people will be like, well, it was a shortened season, Mickey Mouse, all that kind of stuff. But I'm trying to think what what could be the next, like, um, like horrible monstrosity type thing that, that they could be associated with. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I try not to think <laughs> yes. about that. Like, that yeah, that, that's, a, that's a dark place, man. I think um, it's pretty safe to say that at least our three teams, the three of us on the call here, you know, are contributing very heavily to a certain uh, type of political leaning. I mean, the Giants, Charles Johnson, is notorious for what he contributes money towards. And it's not about conservative. It's like the actual the actual things that they're pay, spending money for, the ads to produce, that kind of thing. And I'm yeah. sure all three of our ownership groups have uh, similar uh, money involved, money on the line for. Yeah, it, it's it's rough. Um, but, but I mean, I felt bad for the Dodgers once they started cracking down on human trafficking. I'm like, that's... 
I like it's, yeah. It's like it's, sticky, sticky stuff, human trafficking. Man, they can't. Can they do anything anymore? What's going can't on? Can't catch a break. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening? Um, that was the the Sports Illustrated article. Um, what like four five years ago now, um, where you know, they had the Excel spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. You know, I, crimes, I think, literally crimes.xls. Yeah, and there was like the, the he, this guy is like a level four or something, yes. like clearly a criminal. And then like, you know, just, that was one of, I mean. Evan, do you remember I, that? Like the Dodgers were literally using like a 2080 scale for the criminals in, under their employ. I, yeah. I don't remember this at all. It, it was an internal evaluation thing where they were like, all right, this is this is really bad. And then, um, th- you know, they're trying to figure out like who was involved in what. And then like, so they had a scale and I think it was like zero to four or whatever. Yeah, it was like, where, yeah, it was like, yeah, where four was basically like Pol Pot or something, you know, and, <laughs> and, and and like, obviously the names were redacted and stuff. But if you just look like a lot of their, like, they, they pretty much overhauled their like international scouting, like since then. But like, you know, not that you can pin exact names to whatever, but yeah, it was just, I mean, it, it was, it was hilarious for what, like just the, the spreadsheet aspect, not the atrocities and everything. Yes. Like, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Oh, here's, here's <laughs> maybe, maybe some of the karmic like comeuppance for that is so, um, you remember when, um, John Coppolella of the Braves got like MLB decided to crack down on, on like the international, like atrocities that like everyone does where they they like you know sign kids at 12 and then they're not official till they're 16 and then you know there's like boost scones involved skimming off the top and all this stuff right um well so the braves got dinged for that and they had like i don't know it was like a dozen free agents uh who were set free and like capoella was banned for life um and didn't you see the story last year he's like he was selling timeshares recently and like how perfect is that right like <laughs> but uh one of the guys that was set free from the braves who became a free agent was guillermo um uh, zuniga who was a pitcher and the dodgers signed him after that so he was like okay in the minors but like he had a so-so year in double a last year but his his like original contract was up so he became a minor league free agent and then he signed like a big league deal with the cardinals in the offseason then He's here at the World Baseball Classic throwing like 102, closing out games for Columbia, looking really good. And uh, like he's on, I don't know if he's going to make the Cardinals roster, but he might. But like, and it's not like, you know, he'd automatically go into the Dodgers bullpen, but like that, seeing that one kind of slip away, again, hasn't played in the majors yet, but it looked really awesome. So like, it's one of those things where like, you know, they don't win them all. And And obviously, like, literally, Jordan Alvarez, like, was the best player on the world series winner last year. So that was, mm-hmm. that was another like feather in their dunce cap, I guess. But um, yeah, so maybe, maybe it's all starting to come back. When you mentioned Capoella, I had a little tingling in the back of my head and you said, well, maybe there's some karmic justice because he was banned for life selling timeshares. I remembered reading about him earlier this year and he was reinstated. So his lifetime ban was, but, was ended, but no, but not, uh, he applied for reinstatement, right? But like, he, no, it he, was a permanent ban for Coppola has lasted just five years as the former Braves general manager was reinstated by major league baseball. This article mm-hmm. is January 9th, 2023. Maybe it was that he hasn't been, maybe that like he hasn't been hired by anyone yet. Like, right, so he, right. he can work in baseball, but like, does anyone want to like touch him at this point? Maybe, maybe yeah. I guess that's, that's the issue. Well, he and Jeff Luna will take over uh, the so Rockies at some point, yeah. And that'll oh, be God. fun. <laughs> yeah, that's another right. thing. It, it, 
every team that tanks um, should be shot into the sun. So I, I'm I, as as good as the Orioles might be this year. I hope they never win because I, I hate tanking. I hate it so much. So any team that intentionally tanks for multiple years can go straight to hell. Evan, do you think, well, side question. Do you think the Rockies are actively tanking like in the way that Eric's talking about? Or do you think there's like, because they do spend money. No, I think it's complete. I think it's mismanagement because we spend money. We just spend it badly. Like the Rockies consistently have some solid middle of the pack payroll. But yeah, then weird. they do then they do things like sign Ian Desmond to a five year seventy million dollar contract. Oh, That's so sign bizarre. Daniel it's like Murphy for yeah. two years twenty four. Oh. Or the uh the much maligned super pen experiment with um Jake McGee, Brian Shaw, Wade Davis, Mike Dunn. Yeah. And then oh, but like yeah. Bud Black's a great manager. They'll bring they'll they'll keep bringing Charlie Blackman back on these short deals because that that makes sense. And it's like they they do good moves sometimes like that, and you can see why signing locking Kyle Friedland up like we talked about. Like wow, a guy who can pitch at cores that's great. You know what I mean? Like holding on to Herman Marquez that's great too. Um, so bizarre. We have one last uh, question, Eric. You're gonna yeah. and, hit me right before- between the eyes. Before I ask, you mentioned Jake McGee, and I only bring that up because both Brian and I have had the uh, pleasure slash fun of watching him pitch for our team since then. Uh, I really enjoyed him because uh, both for and against because you always know what's coming. It's always going to be a fastball, and he somehow still was like reasonably effective with it. Um, but also another thing, when he was on the Dodgers, um, he was pretty good for them in 2020. He, he came, I think it was after he got released, so he came on to like a minor league deal, or they just signed him and then he made the team. Um, but he, he went through this long stretch during the playoffs where he didn't pitch, and it got to the point, that was when everything was on Zoom, and I think it was Ken Gurnick back then on of MLB.com um, asked, he was like, and I, I was like planning to ask this because I, I wasn't sure, but he's like, uh, so what's up? Are you are you hurt? <laughs> Why haven't you pitched? He's like, no, I'm healthy. It was, just, it was just like really funny, like just this random thing. But he, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed him. But anyway, my question to you, Brian, is it's a two parter. Um, do you enjoy the sheer volume of transactions since Farhan Zaidi took over the front office? So he sort of tries for even like the tiniest of upgrades whenever possible. And how in the hell did he get four players for Darren Ruff? Oh my God. I, the, the Darren rough trade, I have absolutely no idea how that happened. And I'm it, from the moment it was announced, it, it was like part of it was announced. And then you found out more about it a little bit later. And then every day since I'm like, how did he get, how did this happen? They gave up prospects for Darren Ruff. It's like, I'm like JD Davis, Thomas DePucky. I'm like, those make sense that they're not performing well for the, the Mets. They would be used better on the giants. You know, in the back of the 49 roster, but it's like the prospects on top of it. And it's like Darren Ruff, you can squint and see like the guy, the dude does crush lefties. Oh, yeah. So it's like, I can see why the Mets would, would trade for him at all, but why they gave up, I don't know. We had a question that um, my co-host and I on Giants Croncast, Doug Brizzoni, he, uh, we wondered, one of our questions was, will the Giants use 65 players or more this year? Because last oh, yeah. year they set the record. Um, I don't enjoy it. No, I don't. I don't enjoy it. I don't. I don't enjoy when they do crap like trade uh, Prelander Baroa, who's absolutely astounding the Mariners, like player development system, the major league players. When they trade a guy like a pitcher like that for Donovan Walton, 
Hmm. You know, it's like crap like that they have to do because they don't have a farm system that's giving them everyday position players. So um, I, I don't enjoy it, but it, it does serve a purpose because they can throw out the team that they ran out last year and still somehow win 81 games. So the, the some part of it's working. The first few years, Zaidi and um, Friedman were with the Dodgers. They were they were in that sort of um, we're still building back up the farm system, but we're obviously going to spend like a billion dollars like every year uh, just generally. So like they were, they were trying to, they still had to like upgrade. So they were doing those moves. And I remember the, you know, cause I get like the, the minor league game notes and stuff. And on the triple a game notes, they have like pages of with like every transaction. And I think by the end of the year, I believe the total number of like back and forth and, and moves were like, was like 328. Good <laughs> and, gravy. But, so <laughs> in a weird way, and I get it like, I, I like the fact that players can't be optioned more than like five times during the season. Now that's a good thing. Like quality of life stuff that said as sort of a minutia stick, uh, sicko, I really kind of enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I, I like, I, well, I do like the season interviews for like any player who was on the 40 man roster, even if they didn't play. So like last year, the dot, this was obviously not Zaidi, but the Dodgers traded or they claimed uh, Ian Jabot off waivers never played for him. And then he was gone within like four days. And I'm like, well, <laughs> clearly this is the, the Ian Jabot era. So like, uh, I sort of made a thing of it, but like, I don't know. I, I, I like really love that stuff that, that just made me think, cause it was totally that way for like a good two, three years when they were first with LA. Well, that's why I really appreciate you about you, Eric, is that you definitely love the minutia of baseball, which I think all of us, that's part of the the charm that we love about the game too. Um, I think mm-hmm. it's great, and the, the fact that you were willing to spend the time writing about it, <laughs> talking about it, and I'm I'm more willing to go like, huh, all right. And <laughs> but uh, but it's great. All right, now we're gonna do our NLS final standings prediction. Now on Giants Croncast, Doug and I are like 99% accurate on these, so sure. these have the effect of of legally binding. So just just so you guys know that that your standings that you're about to predict, you're going to be held legally accountable for. So Eric, go first. NL West standings. What, what's the records? So I actually have the Padres winning the division, 95 wins. I have the Dodgers just behind at 93. I, I think the Giants are good, but not, not quite there. So I have them at 85. Um, I, I think the Diamondbacks are on the come up, but not, again, not contention good yet. So they're, they're going to be 80 and 82, which is still an improvement. And Evan, I'm sorry to say, I had the Rockies at 66 and 96. I mean, that's fairly close to what I'm going with, so <laughs> I, I can't say I blame you for that. Eric, I'm not letting the Dodgers off the hook. Dodgers are going to win 100 games. Oh, so. no. <laughs> JD, I think J.D. Martinez is a nice uh, consolation prize for losing Justin Turner, to be honest, and their pitching doesn't – somehow their pitching seems to come through every year, um, and I think they'll be there in the end. Padres, 93 and 69. Giants 84, 78, Diamondbacks 83 and 79. I like Tori Lavallo as sort of the um, the extra 2% there for them. And if you give them a good team, I'm interested to see uh, what happens there. It looks like they have a lot of gumption and they might do it. And then I actually am, I'm not bullish on the Rockies, but I'm saying 70 and 92. That I think that some, if, if not for Bam Bam being there, then just for the fact that, you know, Chris Bryant being healthy is kind of my big thing. If he can be healthy for five of the six months, I think they'll do fine in that regard. All right. What about you, Evan? 
Uh, I think the Dodgers and the Padres are both going to win 100 games. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, but I think the Padres are going to choke in the playoffs. <laughs> uh, I'm putting the the Giants at around 85. Uh, I'm putting the Diamondbacks roughly 500, though I think if things really click together this year, they could be a sneaky wild card candidate. Yeah, it's not hard to imagine. I, I agree with you. Keep going. Sorry. <laughs> but for the Rockies, I'm doing 68 and 94. All right. Okay. I just... I don't think we're going to lose a hundred games, but it's not, it's going to be just another losing season. Um, unfortunately, this losing season is going to come on the 30th anniversary of the Rockies, but not a whole lot I can do about that. They uh, Rockies also just announced that um, Harold Castro has made the team. And then to make room on the 40 man roster, Sean Bouchard, Brendan Rogers and Ryan Rawlison have been placed on the 60 day injured Ooh. list. Ryan Rawlison, if you guys know, um, was one of our top most pitching prospects out of Old Miss. And I'm at the point now with all his injuries where I'm not sure he ever plays in, at the big league level. Oh, man. That's he's, he's barely pitched in the last two years, and he's starting the season on the 60-day IL. Absolutely brutal. Uh, I want to add, because I, I made my prediction, I wrote it down earlier, before I knew Ty Block was going to be on the team. <laughs> I, I I am going to bump them up to 67 and 95. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, not only a healthier Chris Bryant, but also going back to what you said at the beginning, Evan, if the Rockies were in another division, well, they're going to be playing more games in other divisions and yep. against other division opponents. So I think there's a chance they're going to surprise uh, those teams in some regards to get to 70 wins. So, All right, let's plug our shows. Uh, Evan, tell us. You've already done it, but let's just do it one more time. Let's run through them. I am, along with some other some other folks, um, doing Rocky Mountain Rooftop is the name of our network for Colorado Rockies content. The flagship show is our weekly podcast. It's called Affected by Altitude. You can catch it every Monday. Um, Twitter accounts are at Rocky Mountain Rooftop. That's R-O-C-K-Y-M-T-N-R-O-O-F-T-O-P. And at Altitude Effect. Uh, we also have some other shows in the works. We're bringing back our minor league show, which is called Pebble Report. Uh, once the minor league season starts and have some other fun stuff in the works. Um, if you like Rockies baseball, one of the unfortunate souls out there who like me uh, <laughs> breathe Rockies baseball. Uh, I hope you give us a shot. Uh, Eric, our show is called the three inning save. Um, it is at, uh, t- at Twitter and on Instagram uh, under three inning save. And the number three is spelled out in that case. Um, for now, it's just like the one show, but we're going to have a number of sort of offshoot shows. Like we basically do like a main episode once a week. There's going to be some others mixed in. Like um, every now and then we look back at an old, um, a former Dodger from years and decades before. Call that Dodgers Rewind. It'll all show up in the same feed. But if you were subscribed before to the um, True Blue LA podcast feed, it's the same um feed so you don't really have to do anything but for those new uh yeah uh, three inning save that's the that's where you find us and i'm at giants croncast with my co-host doug brizzoni we do it uh once a week on mondays and same thing if you are subscribed to the mccovey croncast feed uh that used to be the podcast on sb nation now you have carried over to giants croncast and if you're new welcome and check out 
uh, Eric and Evan shows on Fans First Sports Network. And we, I think they have every sport covered too. So if you're into football or basketball and college, the, a lot of uh, podcasts already you can find there. And then uh, for the Padres, Talking Friars with Ben Fadden. Check those out and follow Fans First SN at Fans First SN on Twitter. That's where our social account is right now. You can see more on all the shows. Um, so again, thanks for listening and uh, have a great season, guys. Good luck with your shows. Good luck with your teams. Hey, thanks for having us today.